are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A great show for you today. We're talking March Madness. So much stuff to go over. It's getting crazy. We had two conference championship games last night. So two more teams punched their ticket to the big dance. We've got five tonight punching their tickets to the big dance, and we will cover briefly go over all of them i'll talk about the game last night that i told you all to watch and then we'll end it with a little more nba talk and some nfl coverage for the combine that happened this past weekend in indianapolis we'll get to that momentarily all right let's get to it i told you to watch the game i hope you did if not it happened the socon tournament champions are your Furman paladins They are going to the big dance for the first time in 43 years. Couldn't be happier for a team that I have no stake in whatsoever. But I told you the story yesterday. I'll repeat it again. Shit, they showed it three times during the game last night. Last year in the SoCon Championship Tournament game, it was Furman against Tennessee Chattanooga. Furman took a two-point lead with 4.3 seconds left. Chattanooga doesn't take a timeout. They inbound the ball. The point guard drives into triple coverage and heaves up a 40-footer that sent and makes it and sends Chattanooga to the big dance. Furman gets denied on an just an unbelievable miracle shot. Let's face it, that's what it was. This team waited one year for last night's game. They had two guys, their best two players, Mike Bothwell and um, Jalen Slauson, decided to come back for a fifth year of college because they wanted so badly to get to the big dance and to see it pay off. You know, I say it at the end of every podcast. I'm not just saying it to be flip. I'm not saying it just to have a catchphrase. I'm sorry. Sports is always going to be the greatest reality show on television, but you can't write this stuff. Now, the only way it could have been better for Furman is if they were down two and hit a three-pointer at the buzzer tonight to send them to the tournament in a more, I don't know, dramatic way, but I don't think they care. They probably don't want that. They're in. And first time in 43 years, 1980 was the last time Furman made the NCAA tournament. They've won 25 games or more three times in the last five years. They just haven't gotten to the tournament because they've gotten to the conference tournament and they've lost. And we all know the SOCON is literally a one-bid conference. You're not getting two teams out of that conference. So you have to win the conference tournament. They should have won it last year. That was a fluke shot. This year, they got up by 20. They got by 19 in the first half. Then it got cut to two. But once they got up 19, they never trailed the whole game. Once they got up uh, once they got up 19, they never blew it. It got down to two. And then in the second half, I think it got cut to five or six. But you felt like they were in control. Chattanooga made a couple runs here and there, but all the credit in the world to them and could not be happier. I love the fact that they have fins or din, sorry, dins on their jersey, short for Paladins. However, yes, me being the college basketball nerd that I am and me wanting gear now from Furman, I went on their website for their school. They have no gear, no T-shirts, no jerseys that say Dins on them. Everything says Paladins. So why does the team wear jersey that say Dins? I'll tell you what. 
If they somehow make a run in the NCAA tournament, Sweet 16, Elite 8, whatever, Final Four, if they make a run, that school would be the biggest dumbasses to not put together something that has T-shirts that says Dins. Because that's what it says on their jersey. That's what everyone's going to see in the tournament. These guys wearing purple jerseys or white jerseys with Dins across the front. I want a Dins T-shirt. But they don't have it. So I tweeted it out last night. I hope someone at at Furman Hoops responds to me and says, yeah, you know what? We should get on the ball with that. And they should. They're missing out. This is a marketing advantage. But congratulations to the Furman Paladins. The other team that clinched a ticket to the big dance, the Raging Cajuns. ULL. Ooh la la. Raging Cajuns are in the tournament. They beat South Alabama. And so those were the only two that clinched last night. Tonight, we've got five, count them, five conference championships that are happening tonight. We've got the Horizon, the Northeast, the WCC, the Colonial, and the Summit. Now, I've got an issue with the Northeast, and this happened last year as well. I forget which conference it was. But here's the deal with the Northeast. Merrimack has been transitioning from Division II to Division I. However, if you transition, there's a four-year grace period where even if you win your league during the year, finish in first like Merrimack did, and even if you win the conference tournament, you do not get an automatic bid. I'll never understand that rule. If anything, it makes less sense because... You shouldn't have to wait four years. If you're that good right away, shouldn't you be rewarded for that? It makes absolutely no sense. So here's the deal. What they do is they still play out the conference tournament. Merrimack is the number one seed. They are going to be playing Fairleigh Dickinson tonight. But Fairleigh Dickinson won their semifinal game, meaning that they already clinched because Merrimack can't go to the tournament. So once... Merrimack won their semifinal game, and now it's Merrimack against Fairleigh Dickinson in the championship game tonight. It doesn't matter. Merrimack could beat them by 50. Merrimack's not going to the tournament. Fairleigh Dickinson is. But yet they're making them play? What the hell is the point of that? And the same thing happened last year with Jacksonville State. So I, I, the whole thing is so stupid. I hate that rule. It's one of the worst rules in college basketball. If you're coming up to Division I, you have a four-year grace period where you can't go to the tournament. Why? That makes zero sense. Because clearly you can compete. What are you saying? Well, we don't want to put you in there because you can't compete. Well, you just won your conference. Merrimack was the best team. The best team in the Northeast Conference. And they could win tonight and get nothing for it. It's so stupid. And I hate the fact that they're making them play Fairleigh Dickinson. Just once Fairleigh Dickinson won and Merrimack won, you don't need to play a championship game. I'm sorry. Because in the record books, if Merrimack wins tonight, they're going to be deemed Northeast regular season champions and conference tournament champions, yet there'll be nothing to show for it because they won't be able to go to the tournament. So stupid. Anyway, Youngstown State, the number one seed in the horizon, they got bounced yesterday. As I'm recording this, St. Mary's is still playing BYU. And Gonzaga plays San Francisco later on tonight. Gonzaga. God, it's driving me nuts. In the Colonial, the number one seed, Hofstra, Gonzo. They lost to UNC Wilmington. The Seahawks beat them in overtime. 
So UNC Wilmington is now going to play the winner of College of Charleston and Towson, which is happening as I speak. Towson is leading at halftime. So, um, and then in the summit, Oral Roberts is the number one seed. And they will play the winner of North Dakota State and South Dakota State, which is also going on right now. But what I'm trying to point out is if you look at all these conference tournaments, there are some number one seeds. Furman was the number one in the SOCON. They've advanced. But in the Sun Belt, UL Lafayette is the two seed. Missouri Valley was won by Drake. They're the two seed. Ohio Valley was won by the five seed, Southeast Missouri State. Kennesaw State and UNC Asheville are in the tournament. They won the Atlantic Sun and Big, and Big South, respectively. They're one seeds. But tonight, we've got five conference championships, and at least three of them, we already know, are not going to be won by the one seeds. The only two that have a chance are Oral Roberts and St. Mary's. So we're going to have one, two, we're going to have six, seven, we have 12. We're going to have 12 conference champions crowned by the end of tonight that are set for the big dance, that have punched their ticket, and at max, four of them were the number one seeds going into the conference tournament. It's why college basketball is the best sport. Speaking of Ohio Valley Conference and Southeast Missouri State winning it, did you see the end of that game on Saturday? I, I mean, talk about an incredible, incredible performance. First off, Southeast Missouri State, the five seed, they're up seven with 30 seconds left. Somehow, some way, they fell behind and then were only up two with two seconds left. And Tennessee Tech throws the ball the length of the court. The guy catches it at the three-point line and hits a turnaround three-pointer with no time left. And Tennessee Tech storms the court thinking they won. And at the time, everybody else did too. But replay showed he had his foot on the line. I don't think I've ever seen that in a championship conference tournament game where neither team, if you won, you were out. You're not going to the big dance, especially in that conference. You're certainly not. <laughs> the Ohio Valley's not putting two teams in the NCAA tournament. So this guy for Tennessee Tech hits a three. Everybody charges the court. The whole team rushes the court. Southeast Missouri State players are crying because they just assumed they lost. But the guy's foot was on the line, and it ended up being a two-pointer, and it was tied. It goes to overtime, and the team that thought they won, Tennessee Tech, that stormed the court, ended up losing in overtime, and Southeast Missouri State ends up winning and punching their ticket. And, I mean, it just, just an unbelievable ending to a game. I don't think I've ever seen that in all of my time watching college basketball. I've seen plays get overturned because of replay and, and something be, that thought was a three was a two but not to go to the big dance. Like I said, Southeast Missouri State players were crying, and then they have to regroup, getting a second win, being told, no, it was only a two-pointer, it's now tied, we're going to overtime. I mean, that wasn't easy to do, and they got up back up, and they ended up winning the game. Awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. Let's also talk about this. Just great stories all around in college basketball with these smaller conferences. Kennesaw State wasn't a Division I school until 2009. They've never had a winning record since they joined Division I until this year. Their coach joined four years ago. His three years leading up to this season, 
He was 1 and 28 in his first season, 5 and 19 in season 2, 13 and 18 in season 3, and then this year they go 26 and 8. They get the conference championship on their home court, which is the uh Atlantic Sun. They beat Liberty on their home court and the Kennesaw State Owls are going dancing. And again, how can you beat a story like that? Kennesaw State. Now, they might get blown out in the first round. Who cares? To see the excitement on the players' faces, that's that's all that matters. <laughs> it, it, it really does. One thing I want to correct from yesterday when I was talking about Furman almost losing to Western Carolina in the semis, I said I called Western Carolina the Leathernecks. That's Western Illinois. I get them mixed up because of the Western thing. Western Carolina is the Catamounts, <clears throat> which is also the nickname of Vermont, uh, the University of Vermont. They're the Catamounts as well. But, yeah, I kept saying Leathernecks yesterday, and I totally blanked on that. My bad. But we look at the bracketology, and remember how yesterday I'm like, please, please, if I see Furman as like a 12, an 11, a 13, even a 14 seed, give me Furman <laughs> – Give me Furman, Tennessee in round one, and I swear I'm going to take out a billion dollar loan and put it all on the put it all on the Paladins. Well, if you look at bracketology heading into tonight, they have Furman as a 14 seed. First off, there is no way that team is a 14 seed. It's just I understand that the teams have to be seeded and you have to fit into a certain spot. You watch them play; they are not a 14 seed. They are going to beat somebody in the first round. And if they don't, they're going to play them tough. Too many good players on that team. And they play at a very high pace. They score the ball. The teams that I have that I hate come tournament time are teams that have trouble scoring. That's not Furman. But anyway, in bracketology, they have Furman as a 14 seed, so that means they'd play a three seed. Well, you know who a three seed is in the tournament as of right now in bracketology? Tennessee. However, they had... Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, play in Tennessee, which certainly they could beat them. But they had Furman playing Gonzaga. And can we – it doesn't mean anything. It's just bracketology. It's just someone's guessing. It doesn't mean Furman's going to play Gonzaga. But let's hope they don't. Not that they couldn't beat Gonzaga, but that's the 1-3 seed I don't want to see them matched up with because Gonzaga – can score just as much as Furman can. I tell you what right now, if it is a Furman-Gonzaga matchup, you bet the over in that game. Because I guarantee the over will be set at probably 163, 165 is my guess. That game's going to be in the 80s for both teams, for sure. So both teams play up-tempo. Gonzaga led the nation in scoring again. And Furman is a very high scoring team. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Although I don't, if they still stick with Furman as a 14 seed, I don't think Tennessee is staying as a three seed. There's no chance. They're, they're playing horrible down the stretch and they, and they lost their best player or their, their leader at least in point guard, Zakai Ziegler. So five more punch their ticket tonight should be an, Unbelievable night of college basketball continues throughout the week. Shit, we've only got 12 of the 32. After tonight, 
there's still 20 more conference championship tournaments that are going to be clinched from now until Sunday at about 4.30 Central Time because the selection show starts at 5 o'clock. I cannot wait. I'm eating all this up. I absolutely love it. All right, I want to talk about something I brought up yesterday in regards to John Morant. And remember I said it yesterday, like, hey, he's just taking two games off. We don't know what the NBA is going to say, and we don't know what the team is actually saying. And basically they came out and said there is no definitive timeline on John Morant coming back and playing for the Grizzlies. It's at least two games because they say he's taking the steps he needs to get to a better place. But I still think the NBA is going to come down on him and suspend him. And there's no way this is just going to be a two-game blip. I mean, this is this is the number one topic right now in the NBA amongst all the talking heads. And for someone like John ja Morant, who is literally a superstar, superstar in this league, he's not going to just sit out for two games and be fine. This is a big deal. There's other stories that have been popping up in regards to him and guns. So this is not going to be a two-game blip. He is going to probably take more games off and then get some sort of suspension handed to him by the league. And that's probably the right thing to do. It's more important that his health, his mental health, his well-being is fixed. Not even, Well, not fixed. Nothing just gets fixed overnight, but gets better, and he gets to a better place mentally before he gets back on the court. And finally, I wanted to end with this. The Combine in Indianapolis was this past weekend for the NFL. And I know some people absolutely love this, which is basically the Olympics in your underwear, For if you really look at it, because that's all it is. It's just a bunch of events that some of the top players participate in to show off their measurables, which... NFL scouts and NFL teams absolutely salivate over. You can really jump up the board if you perform well at the combine, and you can really slip if you fall behind at the combine and you're, you don't measure up. I mean, they're already talking about Bryce Young and comparing him now to Kyler Murray because they had the basically the same exact measurables at the combine. Kyler Murray at the combine was 5'10 and 1 eighth of an inch, 207 pounds, Bryce Young measured in at 5'10 and 1 8 of an inch and three pounds less at 204. It doesn't mean Bryce Young is going to be Kyler Murray, who has had major injury problems since he got to the NFL. However, there will be teams that will compare it to that. How far does Bryce Young slip? Especially when you got Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, who's an absolute freak show and set the record for standing broad jump and vertical jump, which I don't know what has anything to do with quarterbacking. Seems kind of stupid, but people are now salivating over the fact that he can jump high. Great. Can he read a coverage? Can he throw a sideline 20-yard out? I, who cares how high he can jump? And standing broad jump? When is the standing broad jump ever going to help you in an NFL game? I'll wait until the end of time for you to come up with an answer because you can't. It has no bearing on anything. So I really, it, it's comical. Not to mention, look, the draft, the NFL draft, scouting players is such an inexact science. Nobody really knows 
how good players are going to be in the NFL. You know, all you got to do is go look at every past draft. Every first round pick in the last 30 years, there's just as many players who were out of the league in three years that got drafted in the first round than probably ones that stuck around and had great careers or ended up being Hall of Famers or even multi-time Pro Bowlers. Hall of Famers is setting the bar very high. It's an inexact science. It's so hard to determine. College success means absolutely nothing. If that were the case, Tim Tebow would be the greatest NFL quarterback ever. He was a great, great college quarterback. But the game was different in college. The game is different in college. It doesn't mean if you were a great quarterback in college or a great running back in college, it's going to translate to the NFL. We all know the Tom Brady story, arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. Seven Super Bowl rings, 10 Super Bowl appearances, playoffs, 19 of his 20 years. Guy was a sixth-round draft pick. I mean, the, the list goes on for players that were drafted third round, fourth round, passed up by so many teams and end up being pro bowlers, Hall of Famers, all this stuff. And there's a list of number one picks in the draft that never really panned out. So I don't know what Bryce Young is going to look like in the NFL. Can he make throws? He did in college. Does that mean he can make them in the pros? Probably means he can make the throws. However, 5'10-204 makes him one of the shortest quarterbacks ever to be drafted. And it's going to turn a lot of people off. The thing was, as Bryce Young said, I've basically been this my whole college career. So when everybody was hyping him up and giving him the Heisman Trophy and hyping him as the number one pick coming out of the draft, why does him being measured at the combine change anything? He was 5'10 in college. Now, the Alabama, you know, playbook or the program listed him at six feet. So he wasn't six feet. Never was. 5'10 and one eighths. But that's with his shoes off. Do you play with your shoes off in the NFL? No. So, you know, look, there's so many different things here. But I just can't get excited about the combine. I've never been that guy that gets excited. I don't like I said, I don't care that Anthony Richardson vertical jumps 40 and a half inches. I don't care that he has the new standing broad jump record. I don't care that some guy bench pressed 32 reps. I don't care that some linebacker ran a 4440. It's like great. I mean, yeah, it looks good, but can you play football? is what it comes down to. Because there have been some freak athletes that didn't turn out in the pros. Why not? Because they weren't good at football. They had the body of Adonis. They had the measurables through the roof, but they couldn't play football. And that's what matters. So for everybody trying to sell you on things coming out of the combine, again, just speculation. That's all it is. They're guessing. It's a giant. The NFL draft is a giant guessing game, and you just have to. You're going to fail. You are going to pick players high in your draft board who end up doing nothing for you as a franchise and maybe don't even make the team. But as an NFL franchise, your goal is you got to hit on some more often than not because you're going to have some flops. Everybody's going to. It's impossible not to. It's impossible to have a draft. Say you have one pick in every draft, every round, 
and you have seven players in the draft that you end up with, and all seven players end up being starters for you. It just doesn't happen. It's not realistic. But your higher draft picks are the ones that you have to hit on more often than not because everybody's going to fail on a high draft pick. And, you know, the NFL draft isn't till next month. It's a lot of stuff to go over, and we'll be talking about it as we approach it, but just don't get too hyped on measurables you see at the Combine. That's all I ask. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate and subscribe and review an Apple podcast. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your mistresses, tell everybody. It certainly helps this podcast. Like I said, tonight, five more teams punch their ticket to the big dance. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!